When your gravity fails, and negativity won't pull you through, it's the Rogue Philosopher. 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 Coming at you. Rogue Philosophy Podcast here. This is the Rogue Philosopher. I'm not responsible for that appellation, but I'm delighted to have been afforded that. I avail myself to you now uh, as best I can. (laughs) The topic that I want to rave about today is something I've only recently learned about, although many, many years, 20 years ago, um, a guy I knew, I was in an advanced rehabilitation training program for the blind in Newton, Massachusetts, and I first heard of this through him, and then, then I largely forgot about it for two decades. And I've recently rediscovered it, and it's it's remarkable. I'm, I'm more intrigued by it than offended. And uh, I, I'm intrigued for a number of reasons, but foremost among them is that uh, it's so direct, open, and honest in their absolute contempt uh, for the disabled. You know, this, you, you don't have to try very hard to recognize that it's not right. You know, whereas a lot of times now, uh, people are so... They're so uh, fearful. They're so easily offended. Some of them are legitimately hurt, but perhaps they've increased the level. They've turned up the volume on their own uh, uh, hurts and grievances by deliberately finding more grievances. And then, you know, they, they people will, in many minority groups that are involved in identity politics... People will see attacks everywhere they turn because identity politics is about stopping the attacks, right? About fighting for the rights of your group of whom you represent. You're one of. So you want to stop the attacks. In order to stop them, there has to be attacks. In a lot of cases, there's some room for justifiable grievance, but not room for a big war. Okay, but that's what identity politics wishes for is a big war, especially a war that you can win, because then not only are you right, but you're also a hero, right? And you can go to bed every night and recognize yourself not as a flawed human being like all the rest of us, you know, stinking, filthy, miserable, wretched apes, but you can say, ah, I'm a fucking hero. Look at me. I'm fucking special. It all centers around me. It's a fucking fulcrum of the fucking identity rights movement. Right? I am its I am its fulcrum, I am its center, I am an important person. You better listen to me, I'm an important person. Uh, even though one's self-importance is a pseudo-importance, uh, usually stolen at the expense of others. Um, but there are legitimate and genuine grievances, and there are many legitimate grievances. Um, but I, I'm, I, I shy away from, as best I can, the, the, the mass enraging... Uh, of of of, uh, of minorities or uh, oppressed in general, and of course, blind. I'm handicapped. Life is far more difficult in some ways, but it's easier in some ways. You know, I mean, if I were just an ugly man and not uh, an ugly blind man, right? In a way, the blindness makes me more ugly in terms of romantic involvement. Uh, my appeal to women is zero, but I'm not ugly physically, even though I'm aging middle-aged, not in the best shape of my life anymore. I mean, but I'm not repellent. But if I were just a guy, I, I could walk down a street and nobody would say a word to me. 
you know, I could go a whole day and nobody would say a word to me. And indeed, sometimes uh, that happens to me also. But sometimes people will talk to me because I'm handicapped in situations when they might not talk to others who are not handicapped. Right. And a lot of times they're 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 genuinely curious and or they're genuinely afraid. Uh, not of me, but they're afraid of of what I represent. They're fearful of losing their sight and and losing what they find beautiful, what they enjoy, their independence. I mean, the level of independence that that non-disabled people have. OK, I don't know what I should call them in my podcast. Normals, temporarily able bodied. That's what the. Uh, that's what they're called in the disability rights camp. They're called temporarily able-bodied, uh, which which takes in the the understanding that as we age, all of us, we will all become disabled in some form or other. Whatever disease might come upon us or accidents, you know. Um, they could lead to permanently disabling conditions. Usually, but you know, by the time we're in our 70s and 80s, God willing, uh, inshallah, right? The 70s and 80s, hopefully nothing's wrong, but probably a hell of a lot of things are. Your heart's messed up, your blood pressure's fucked, your, your, uh, uh, your, your stomach, you know, you, you might have congestive heart failure or angina or, or your, your joints are fucked, you have some kind of arthritis. Yeah, maybe your back is fucked because you've worked hard all your life. And, you know, that's screwed up now, too. Uh, any number of diseases and things that go wrong. Nasty, painful, you know, difficult conditions that go wrong. Although, I do hold out hope that modern medicine will help us live more comfortably and more fully into our 80s. I understand that life extension, many don't think it can be extended. But I'm, I'm going way off topic here. Uh, the normals, temporarily able-bodied, right? Um, normal people who have nothing wrong with them. You don't... You have problems, I get it. And, and life, intrinsically, life is suffering. Uh, and life is fearful and disappointing and difficult. And, and nobody is exempt from that because we're all vulnerable and we're all limited. And we're all subject to forces outside of our control that... Sometimes we can't even react to, much less preemptively fix, okay? Temporarily able-bodied. So, normal folks, depending on your appeal, usually it's your physical appeal, it determines your status in society. And, and most people don't see this as much. The ugly people do, the outsiders do, uh, you know, those of us that might have uh, be on the, uh, on the spectrum, on the autism spectrum, they're acutely aware of, of social exclusion. You know, but it, it, a hundred years ago, uh, they weren't subtle about it. And they didn't exclude you by acting, you know, by, by acting uh, unfriendly to you. They excluded you with a fucking law, okay? The laws on the books have been named now in our time. They're called the ugly laws. And the ugly laws are the same sort of laws, probably uh, subtext of the same law, okay, that's in use now uh, around the country, especially in uh, Denver, Colorado, where if you are uh, homeless and you're loitering, it's, it's an unsightly, you know, it's unsightly, okay? 
get those filthy homeless out of our city. And so what do they do? They drag them out of the city and dump them somewhere, or they take them and lock them in jail for, for loitering, for blocking the right of way to a business. And, and sometimes, you know, the people are acting in ways that are very disturbing to the customers coming in, right? They're panhandling, right? Or they're, or they're, um, or they're, uh, depending on the level of poverty in the neighborhood or the level of openness, they, they might be on drugs. They might be selling drugs. They might be uh, accosting people, you know, give me some money, give me some money. And they have signs, work for food, work for food, you know. Uh, my friend saw a sign once where the guy said, um, I want to get money so I can go buy uh, a bottle of, uh, of vodka and get drunk. And my friend immediately gave him $20, instantly. Because the guy was so honest, like, fuck it, I'm going to take my mon the money you give me and I'm going to buy booze and get drunk. And my friend was like, great, here's $20. You know, that's off topic. I mean, for, for his, his genuine honesty. In any case, in any case the, the laws 100 years ago, the ugly laws, I've begun to read more in depth about them uh, because they are fascinating and they encompass... All disabled, the blind, the crippled, uh, 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 the paralyzed, uh, you know, the, 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 the people, maybe they're disabled because they got uh, smallpox or something and they live through it and they're covered in, in the pox and the fever damaged their nervous system and then they, you know, they can't really walk or something. Okay, unsightly, ugly. And so what did they do? They wrote laws that forbade the disabled uh, to go out into public, uh, even with, uh, accompanied by a, a guardian, you know, the people that are severely, um, mentally retarded. Oh, you're, you're noticing, by the way, that I'm not really using political correct terms. I'm kind of using the, the terms that are more reflective of meanness or of exclusion. I, I understand these words are unpleasant words. But I'm not going to avoid them because I think avoiding things like that, it doesn't make you safe and it doesn't make the problem go away and it doesn't address the human conflict. Because what is this? It's conflict between human beings. And these words represent that conflict. And, and a very simplistic and more fair way, perhaps, than the disability rights activists are using, that's fair to all of you and to me is to recognize it as such. It is a conflict. And fortunately, we're all frail, vulnerable humans. Presumably, one can cross over and make peace and try to come to a clearer understanding. Not demanding our rights, but compromising with each other the way one does in a fully functional, healthy society. I think I'm too much of a utopian dreamer. So, okay, what was I saying? Um, Ugly laws. Ugly laws. You know, so isn't it great? The, the prom queen gets to point at me or at somebody who's deaf, blind, or at somebody who is uh, uh, you know, using a walker or something. Um, so the, the, the prom queen or the prom king, right? We honor them for being beautiful. Well, let me ask a question. It, it, it's true that I had nothing to do with the choices I made before I was born. And I had nothing to do with writing the source code for my DNA. Right? And I had nothing to do with writing the way that I appear in, 
in the eyes of others, the judgments of others. If one is born uh, beautiful, did they have anything to do with it? Did they? They're not responsible for what they, you know, and we usually award people for, for doing things, for, for succeeding at a task and, and achieving something. Maybe if you achieve, if you achieve a great feat, and we're right to honor people who do. You climb frigging Mount Everest, you deserve praise. <laughs> okay? Especially from those of us who, who will, will <laughs> very, very likely um, never climb anything bigger than a giant hill. <laughs> right? But why do we praise people the most? Because we really do. Excessively. For their beauty. And especially women, and I think it's especially insidious because men aren't praising them because they see them as having achieved something great. They're praising them because they want to screw them and they want to dominate. I, I will agree with the feminists in that case. It's not good. Okay, it's not. You're, you're elevating somebody for something that they're not responsible for. They can maintain their beauty. They can do things to enhance it. You know, everyone does that. I think we all do our best, the best we can to come across. Uh, because beauty is social status. <clears throat> beauty equals social status, and social status brings social capital. And what is social capital? The friends you have, the resources, your networking, how many people you can call uh, if you need, you know, a reference, a letter of reference, or if you... Uh, have a friend you need to maybe you're in trouble you have to borrow some money or you have to ask them to help you your social capital is where you you know maybe you go out to a lot of dinner engagements you know you you go out to the club and you've got friends at the club or you um, you know have a group of guys and, and girls with tickets to the to the Steelers game or something right you you the the, the number of people that you see in a meaningful way that you engage with and even the, the people that are drawn to you over time. Because social capital, it, it's very apparent. Someone can walk into a room, and within seconds, we all know where that person stands in the hierarchy. We all know where we stand. I am not against hierarchies. I've listened enough to Dr. Peterson to recognize that, that, that hierarchy is nature. Whether or not we like it, it's, it's irrelevant. It's nature. And if you win at one hierarchy or you lose at one, hopefully society is flexible enough. Go play a different game. I don't feel threatened by it. Just go play a different game. I'm not very good at social game A. So I'll play social game B. And nobody cares ultimately um, whether you're a winner at social game A, B, or C. If you're good at something, there's a place for you. Trouble is, and, and this is where I think people like us, the disabled, we feel this more acutely. We're more aware of it, but it affects everyone. It's just, it's less, um, the people who are winning, the able-bodied, are less able to recognize it because they're winning. So they're never made aware. But they'll be made aware, given time, uh, genetic decay, however you want to put it, disease, the chromosomes replicating wrong, they're going to learn over time. Okay? 
your social capital. <clears throat> so where was I? Uh, the ugly laws, yeah. Um, ordinances that basically said, don't bring the disabled out in public. Keep them hidden. Keep them uh, uh, out of public sight because they're a living eyesore to look upon. And, and uh, moreover, the late 1800s, early 1900s, eugenics was far more popular than people want to admit or acknowledge as it is now. It's, it's, re it's having a resurgence because now with DNA, they can program, um, they can rewrite people's DNA. And they can write out of existence certain disabilities, such as Down syndrome. Some of these things I'm okay with them rewriting. Huntington's disease. <laughs> okay? Yes, by all means rewrite that. Uh, Down syndrome, I am... I can't... It's horrible. Um, not the Down syndrome people. I mean, it's, it's horrible the dilemma that this raises. Okay? Because... It's perfectly natural. Most parents want to have a child that will fulfill their dreams. Because parents have dreams too when they have children and they have expectations. And I think it has to be a, a jarring blow. And it's perfectly understandable. I have, I have great compassion for this. Because it's not malicious. Okay? When, when a child's born to a family and it's a severely disabled child, even a blind child like, like myself, it's a crushing blow, okay? Because all your dreams now are, 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 are temporarily shattered and they're going to have to change. And then they do. Now, to everybody, to the credit of most people who go through this, it's perfectly human to feel that way. You feel disappointed. You feel uh, like your dreams have been stolen or shattered. And then you torment the hell out of yourself for feeling that way. You know, so then there's guilt now. There's guilt. And then the questions arise, well, <clears throat> did we do something wrong? Okay? Did we... Were we uh, exposed to something that maybe did this? Did we have a genetics... A genetic recessive trait that we should have been tested for beforehand? Or what did we do? Were we bad, bad parents before the child was born? Did we cause it somehow? Okay, I, I would suggest don't, don't guilt trip yourself. It's, it's, it serves no purpose. It's perfectly natural for people to feel shocked. And that's really what it amounts to in the end. Because let's, most people love their children, even if they're somewhat dysfunctional. They love their children. And, and, and let that go and don't, don't hold it. Let it be, let it, let it happen and let it go. Because it won't be long before you found other dreams. And when that little one interacts with you in whatever way it, it does, you'll be, you'll be touched and you'll find love for, for that child. I was talking to someone about this at the, um, the, um, the Center for the Blind in my state. I was in a program a couple of years ago. And he was very, very open about exper the experience of unexpectedly having a severely disabled child. And I have a great deal of compassion uh, uh, for what they went through in terms of their emotional roller coaster and in terms of their second-guessing themselves. Um, I have a lot of compassion. They were good people.
okay? But a hundred years ago, uh, people were very open about their contempt for the disabled. Um, I probably shouldn't do this. In, in Eastern societies, okay, in uh, societies that deal with Hinduism and Buddhism, uh, the New Agers don't have it all. They don't quite grasp the, the whole of it, as not, nor do I, but I've studied religion. Uh, my PhD is in religion. And over there, for instance, in a country like Nepal, okay, if you have a disabled child, it's because they have fucked up karma. And if you are being visited with this, it's because you have fucked up karma too. And so what happens um, if you're sick, if you're handicapped, if you're born into a lower caste, if you're in India, that, that abominable structure, the caste system, okay, at least the West, we don't have to deal with stuff like that. Nobody's going to lift a finger to help you because it's all your fault. Everything, you're responsible for your karma, the choices that you make. And if you make choices that uh, lower your karma, why have you done this? Well, who knows? Maybe you're weak, you're angry, you're in your last life, that is. You were angry, you were a bully, you were uh, 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 violent or something, right? You don't deserve sympathy in this one. Because in this life, you're paying your karma for the last one. So if you have a horrible, miserable life, and you're sick, and you're dying, or you're in pain, or you're handicapped, or you're whatever, it's too bad. Too bad for you. And in the West, we're, at least in the West, we're, we're conflicted. We're, we're drawn. Uh, because on the one hand, it says, the poor will always be with us. I think that's somewhere in, uh, I think it's Matthew. I, I'm not as, I can't, I haven't memorized my, my New Testament even if we're not Christian in this generation, it's still a Christian country. So what the Bible says is the foundation of our morals and our worldview. The poor will always be with us. Okay, so... Okay, 20 minutes, I'll go another 10. Uh, Jesus demanded people or uh, asked them, to love their neighbor. Uh, love your neighbor as yourself. That comes from Judaism and Christianity. Uh, Second Temple Judaism, although if you go back further, Jeremiah, it talks about you did not care for the widow and the orphan, because back in the 500 BC, if you were a widow, you were in deep trouble. You could not care for yourself. You couldn't, you would, you'd be so poor and broken. That's why the Bible uh, asks that, or it, it, it mandates, if your husband dies, you marry his brother. And that's to help take care of people in the society, the, the, to, the, so you're not a widow. But in Jeremiah, it says, you know, you have, thou hast been weighed in the balance and found wanting. I kind of love that, actually. It's a cool... So we have a conscience. We have a social conscience that says, if, you're, if your fellow person is suffering terribly, you are obligated to do something. Because it's almost in, implicit, if you don't do something, then you're part of the problem, and you're causing the problem by not, by ignoring that person's need. Yeah? But on the other hand, there's an equally powerful pushback that says, somewhat similar, but not exactly so, to the karmic debt. Okay? Somewhat similar. Well, somebody committed a great sin, 
At some point or other, somebody angered God. It is, it's remarkable when, when Jesus healed the blind man <clears throat> that I, 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 I don't, I dislike that intensely, how that example is so often used. We're so afflicted. We kind of are, but that's a different, a different degree from a different perspective. Um, they asked him, his disciples, I think it was Simon Peter, he said, well, what did he do to deserve the blindness? Who, who sinned? Did he sin? Did his father sin? How did that work? There are passages in the Old Testament that talk about, you know, if you violate certain of God's laws, you are punished and your family is punished to the fourth, the third and the fourth generation. Okay? What's odd is that's kind of true in a way. Look at genetics. If a person lives uh, a painful, trauma-filled life, maybe if they're a murderer or something, some of the genes are turned on some of them are turned off okay sometimes the genes that are turned on or off have downstream physical effects that actually manifest and you can see it and there's no ambiguity okay how did they know that that's what i'm interested in is how did they how did they know sometimes a genetic disease it goes to the third and the fourth generation Right now, I'm sure there were legitimate um, allegorical reasons for the writer of those verses to do so. Third and the fourth generation, it could mean the tetragrammaton, yud chay vav chay. Okay, uh, there's some Kabbalistic principles, and they usually are done in four because in Lurianic Kabbalah, there's four worlds. Okay, four. Uh, what is it? Um, God, my friends would kill me um, for not being able to rattle this off without even trying. Um, uh, I'll have to go the other direction. Asiya, which is the, our world, world of making and doing. Uh, oh, damn, I can't remember all four worlds. Well, in any case, um, there are four uh, worlds in Lurianic Kabbalah. So this, the, these symbols, they probably go all the way back in different forms to the, the Hecalot literature, Second Temple mysticism, uh, the, the work of the chariot. You, okay, you go back far enough in Jewish mysticism and they, they, they do something called the, the Hecalot, the palaces, the seven palaces. Uh, uh, and even further back still, it's the work of the chariot. But in any case, these numbers reappear often. The third and the fourth generation uh, all of the men of your generation will be wiped out. That's what the Lord decreed when they went up to fight and when they tested his, his, uh, his will with the Urim and, and Thummim. Okay? Urim and Thummim, uh, they, 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 Thummim, that's uh, light and innocence. Urim, especially Ur, light, lights. And so that was the only divination they were allowed to do. And the Israelites would cast lots, and they'd use the Urim and the Thummim from David's breastplate, ultimately. And he said, do not go up, for I will not be with you. I will not support you. If you do it against my will, you will get what's coming to you, because you put your own will ahead of mine. And you, you superseded your own vanity to go fight when I told you that these people will not be defeated by you, it's not their time. I will give you the land in its time. But they ignored the Lord's warning. 
and they went up to fight and they were uh, they were smashed and they fled because they were defeated so severely and they fled back to the the temple and they and they you know threw themselves on the ark and they cried and because they had so seriously disagreed with him right he cut them all off that's when when in the bible if someone's cut off you're cut off from the lord it means you're you're done for he won't heal you he won't he won't bring you back that almost never ever happens there's always there's always a punishment and a restoration in the bible in the with the hebrews with the uh the uh hebrew bible the old testament the jews they would commit a sin and they would be punished for it as a nation and then they would be restored even when he destroyed the temples and he cast them out into the world the first time to babylon the second time the diaspora what's happening today look at the nation the nation of israel look at you know they they've there's always a punishment and then there's uh, a restoring uh, where he always says you know this is in the book i'm not saying anything that isn't in the book don't kill the messenger okay where he'll always say you know but my covenant with you i will i will remember my covenant with you in my heart and you will not be left alone i will never ever leave you in darkness i will never leave you for good uh, uh, they're they're always always uh, brought back in and forgiven and of course there's allegorical reasons for this and spiritual reasons for it which i'm not sophisticated enough or intelligent enough to fully explicate okay there's always um in their relationship to to the creator drawing closer and then uh distancing closer further away closer and further away it's it's a lot like a uh, a living organism give and take and in our, most of our relationships on in in the world humans relate to one another there's a rupture in the relationship there's a distancing and then there's a return distancing and return if if people are are uh in a healthy state i mean and, and just nature will decree that um if you're messed up more messed up of course then it follows a different pattern but they would they would say what have we done uh they would take responsibility and it doesn't matter let's 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 forget for just a moment whatever our uh, religious beliefs are or are not they would always question themselves first and say how have we erred what sins have we committed that have visited this upon us how have we angered the lord <clears throat> and it doesn't matter okay you might say if you if you uh, uh uh are let's say you're skiing backwards down a mountain and you smash into a tree okay there are reasons why you don't want to ski backwards down a mountain and a lot of them are determinable by the laws of physics and biology okay so you've sinned against the lord okay you've tried to break laws that cannot be broken they cannot breaking them you will not you will be spared no mercy if you jump off of a a 20 story building you are going to die <laughs> there's nothing that can be done okay if you break the universal laws and it was like that in ancient israel and and even then you know and i can't go into depth because i'm not an old testament scholar although i've studied it some in the old testament too there was always uh, uh a pushing away 
and a return, a drawing back. All right, so if you were afflicted by, they called it leprosy, um, but what I understand of leprosy, the, the, the yes, there was true leprosy, but leprosy would involve any any kind of severe blemish that they didn't understand. I mean, I have um, vitiligo, okay? The, the pigments in, uh, in my skin are being destroyed by my immune system over time. I think I'm pretty lucky. There's not a lot of it, um, but I would have been cast aside. If, I, if ancient Israel, someone has something like vitiligo, a harmless, well, it's harmless except for to the appearance because it, it, it must look very jarring. I can't fully imagine it. I can't see, but to have white spots on your face, it's a blemish and it's probably never going to go away. But even in that case, you know, you, yes, you're cast out and you have to wear the bell. I'm a leper. I'm a leper. I, and they did it. Maybe some of their reasoning was hateful. I think certainly by the time of the second temple in Jesus Christ, it was very excessive, and it was it was built on on a kind of a hatred and pride. We're, we're not going to let any of these filthy beggars into the temple. The temple is sacred, which was a terrible sin because all the people in the nation are sacred to to the Lord. And to reject certain peoples, and to try to supersede and say our nation won't have these unclean, filthy people, you're violating the laws of God. If if you, especially if you're inclined to believe it. You have to understand all of his people are, are welcomed and should be part of the nation and to reject them. If he does it, it's one thing. If you do it and you're proud and you're haughty and you look down, down on them for their affliction, which they maybe had nothing, they're, they're not blameworthy at all. When they ask the, the, um, when they ask the disciples, when they ask Jesus, whose sin, whose sin caused this? And he said it was neither his sin nor his father's sin. You know, that's, that's an example of a loving, a loving statement from, from Jesus, you know. Um, it doesn't matter if you're Christian or not in this context. I mean, it, it might because if you're not, you've probably never even opened one, a Bible, I mean. But this is in the subconscious of our culture. This, this is the bedrock and the foundation of our culture. And it's, it's what shapes us. It's what determines how we behave towards one another. Although it's breaking down and, and terrifyingly it's breaking down and nothing is really replacing it. We're going to pay for that. And I'm, I'm saying this as a non-believer. Okay. I'm saying in the, full, in the interest of full disclosure, we're going to pay for that. And it's not going to be nice. Because uh, Marxism, softcore Marxism, is no replacement. Okay? And neither is social justice, uh, Republican or Democratism, Trumpism. These are not replacements for the bedrock of our culture. Sorry. In any case, the ugly laws fascinate me. And they're very, very harsh. They basically do not bring these people out. And then, and then, if that wasn't enough, in eugenics. So keep them out of public, public eye, and sterilize them so that they cannot reproduce. And in a generation or two, they'll be gone. And it's for their own good, isn't it? They're suffering, we're suffering to have their ugliness visited upon us. Isn't it a mercy to... Uh, take matters into our own hands and be certain that they're never born. 
Oh, but don't worry, eugenics went out with the Nazis. Nobody thinks that way anymore, right? You know, eugenics, good, we got rid of it. It was an ugly philosophy, and some people in it were, were very cruel. So it's a good thing that we got rid of it. So we're doing our genetic screening. Couple A is going to have a baby. They're genetically screening to make sure there's nothing wrong with their infant. It's perfectly natural, isn't it? What will they do if they see it has Down syndrome? Why, they'll abort it, of course. Well, some of them won't. And then they'll take up the, up the, 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 you know, they'll take up the cause and say, well, we did not abort and we're, okay, you know, that's okay. Love your children. Be glad of your decision. But in this country, you're probably going to get in a big battle if you go around and proclaim how great you are for, for not aborting the, this poor, horrible, disabled, crippled child, right? Well, in any case, what I'm pointing out isn't the flaws in hypothetical said parental couple A. I'm pointing out that if, if you think anything has changed... And this is why the, the disability rights activists are so highly hyper-reactive and responsive to uh, coat, to words that have hidden implications and the implications that have to do with, with discrimination. That's why they're so, they're, they're overactive. They're like they're, they're the immune system of the modern human, where you're allergic to everything, okay? They're reactive to everything, everything. It doesn't matter what it is. Your intention doesn't matter. What matters is how I feel. Okay, that's horribly unfair. I don't do that to anyone. I make the assumption first that a person has good intent. I don't assume that they're mean because something they said came out wrong or that they even purposefully said something mean. After all, aren't they struggling just as much? They're, they're vulnerable too. There are, there's a time and a place and a reason to, to fight against people. And getting mad over a few words isn't that place. The most you should do is point out to somebody that that comment, said comment, is reminiscent of a more hurtful and mean-spirited time and place, and to please not use it. We don't, you don't, you know, and having said that, that's out of simple politeness. If I walked into a room and I trip over something and it's a, it's a, it's like a sophisticated dinner people in their suits and their ties or whatever their coats and it's like say it's a let's say it's a sponsored by uh who's a goody two-shoes kind of group oh, i'm drawing a blank and i trip over something and i'm like you motherfucker all right wouldn't they be right they would to take me aside or even to uh, to ask me to leave for disrupting the that dinner you know with with really ugly curse words Motherfucker. So if I'm disabled and someone says something really insensitive to me, it might arise to that level, but most likely you would do, I would do what you would do to me. If I said it once, you would, you'd be pleased. You'd say, look, that's offensive. Please don't act that way. Uh, and, and the disabled person has every right to say, look, that term is, is, Oh, I hate using this. I'll sound like a social justice warrior. That term is ableist. What was my point ultimately? My personal points were that I'm fascinated by the ugly laws, that I'm beginning to research them. I think any of us out there, though, who are disabled, we've all been mistreated. And they're, they're the, especially the disabled, 
I mean, most of the minority groups, the, as individuals, each one of those people probably had an awful experience, and, and that's hardwired them. It's, it's not for nothing that people talk about their trigger warnings, except although I'm totally appalled by what that's reflective of in our, in our younger people, that they, they cannot even cope with words that have a negative resonance. And in order to understand, if you're going to argue something, you've got to understand those words. And ignoring them doesn't make them go away. And it doesn't make the negativity in human nature that, that produced them. It doesn't make that go away either. You know, it's basically akin to pulling the covers over your head, you know, and saying, Mommy, 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 save me, okay? No one's going to save you. Nobody's going to save you from an ableist term that you disapprove of. Sorry. The most that you should be allowed to do is to please request, please don't. Don't say such things to me. Um, don't call me deaf and d blind, blind, deaf and dumb, for example. Or, or don't call me retarded, for example. Don't, don't, don't use these terms that are, that are associated with hateful actions because they're, they are associated with an action. In the case of the uh, mentally handicapped, the actions were institutionalize them, ostracize them, and sterilize them. It, uh, you know, a, a, a triad of truly abominable treatment. Okay? But I'm not for overreacting to words, trigger warnings. People don't always know. Sometimes they're genuinely and legitimately ignorant, and they're just good people who've made a mistake. I, I have found in <clears throat> my own personal dealings with the, uh, the, the able-bodied, okay, the what do we call them? The normals? I'm not sure that's the right term because we're all normal and everyone is facing uh, aging, trauma that might injure them, and ultimately death. We're all in the same boat. We're all in the same raft, okay? And to, to, to be overly... Sometimes it's, it's, it's... Sometimes it helps us understand things better if we can categorize and sometimes our categorization is a little dodgy, a little shifty. But when it becomes more um, distasteful, offensive even, abusive perhaps, like curse words are, uh, then it's discriminatory in the sense of that word embodying a hateful or uh, an unacceptable exclusion. Some exclusions are fine. I like the exclusion when I'm getting on an airplane that my airline pilot is going to be the best pilot who can fly the plane. I don't want to fly that plane or have another blind person fly that plane. I know blind people have done unbelievably amazing things. I mean, to, far more uh, um, deserving of, of privilege and praise than, than anything I've done. Okay? I went to film school. I studied film. I learned about cinematography. I don't have any vision at all. I had a little light perception when I was a child. Okay, but some of these people are are so amazing. I wouldn't even know how to speak to them. Okay, the Eric. Let me get. I won't get your name right, will I? A Weinermeyer. Okay, he's probably climbed Mount Everest about ten times, and made a beautiful documentary where he took a number of blind children from Nepal. And he built a school for them. I mean, it probably cost all of 50 cents for him to do that. He built them a school, and he took them up Mount Everest as far as they could go. And he made sure to 
teach them that they were worthy and that they were capable and to feel better about themselves. He did this. He's an American. He's not weighed down by it. The parents of these children, of course, were ecstatic. Well, great. We don't want him anyway. Bad karma? Fine, you can take him. You know, it's, it's hard for me to wrap my head around that, but I suppose it isn't so difficult, really. And when I was young, mainstreaming had only just begun, and institutions were uh, available for parents to, if the burden was too great or if they were too hateful, to just dump their children off and leave them and, and forget them. Kind of like what... Uh, now they're getting old themselves, kind of like what uh, middle-aged people have done to their parents by, by dumping them in nursing homes, over-medicating them with drugs that they don't need, that don't help them at all, <clears throat> and, 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 and hoping that there's still a little money left in their savings before they're, they're, you know, when they're dead. Um, the, nursing, the nursing homes, uh, basically, that's an industry. It's, 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 it's a vile industry, I'm sorry. You're warehousing people that you should be caring for. People maybe, some of them were probably bad parents, but I think most probably weren't. And it's the most ungrateful and, and, and despicable thing for these people to just dump their relatives off somewhere and abandon them. That is not, that is not right. Especially when somebody raised you and they loved you and they took care of you. You know, you, you think it's easy raising a child. You think that there weren't times when that, when that parent was, was genuinely angry and was just like, God, I just want to leave them, in a, in a, leave them on a front step of a firehouse or something or a hospital, you know, shut up, quit screaming, you know. It's hard to raise your children. You know what? It's hard to take care of people when they're really old and they're sick. Life's hard. Okay? That's what I'm told every day by strangers and friends and family alike. And there, it's true. Life is hard. So get over it, you know? I, I really find this culture that we live in today, this, this, this consumeristic-driven culture uh, where everything and everyone is a commodity, and if you don't have at, at the first, from the outset, uh, a sign that properly displays, you know, what have you done for me lately, doesn't properly display immediately what your usefulness is, you know, it's a despicable idea. It's, it's a dreadful way to run a society. It's a terrible way to live. It's, it's extremely hurtful. And, you know, we've allowed it. Uh, you know, I, 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 am, I have to take responsibility. Why do women have, um, so many women have uh, anorexia? Why? Well, it's not my fault. I didn't create the fashion industry, okay? I'm not the one demanding that women weigh 84 pounds, and the, the thinner they are, the prettier. I can't see. I don't give a damn. Does it matter? Yeah, I'm still responsible. I still, in a way, I'm still, if, if I'm not speaking out against something, then I'm, it's almost as if I'm, I'm for it. Um, and I'm not for hurting women and starving them and, and mistreating them because they don't fit an ideal created by... Uh, probably a paranoid psychotic somewhere in Paris at the head of the fashion industry, you know, who, who's, you know, uh, uh, severely mentally ill with a personality disorder, maybe even a sociopath, running a company where a number of sociopaths work, all of whom have helped drive this, this image. The, the ads, the true black magicians of our day are advertisers.
They are very, very skilled at what they do. And fortunately, all they want to do is sell products. If they wanted people dead, they could do that too, just through their ads. They could convince us that such and such outgroup uh, should be wiped out. Don't think it can't happen again. Don't think it can't happen at all. If it happened once, it can happen again. Anything that we've done will, will be done again. Anything we've imagined is possible to be done. So I don't, I don't, I don't dismiss even the fears of the most desperate um, social justice activists. They, they're, they're, they're not, it's not for no reason that they're out there. But I think they've, they, they've done harm. They've damaged uh, our relations in, 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 at times. And sometimes they've succeeded at reforming some of the laws. But if you succeed at reforming the law, in the process of doing so, you don't offend or, or mistreat the people who are rewriting that law for you. You've got to bloody well be, be... No, I'm not saying go accept your lot and like it. I'm saying if you've convinced somebody of the necessity to change something for the better for you not for them maybe it's even hurtful to them maybe it's even hurtful because business has to spend a lot of money to renovate for the wheelchairs put braille in the elevators fucking trump he's probably right no one's gonna live in his building no blind people are rich ah, mean thing to say but i have to laugh i found it funny you got to acknowledge at least acknowledge, okay, that they've done something beneficial and that it has cost. They've had to sacrifice to do that. And you know how you repay them for it? If in the example of renovating businesses to deal with the blind, how do you pay for that? Renovating businesses to uh, uh, help accommodate people using wheelchairs? I've thought about it deeply and I don't like the term wheelchair bound. I don't like it because... If it weren't for that wheelchair, the person would genuinely and truly be bound, wouldn't they? They'd be entrapped more than can even be imagined. And so uh, I, I should rather emphasize that wheelchair helps the person find freedom. And maybe one day soon they'll be able to put them into a big, a big robotic human-shaped suit and plug in the, the power pack and they can walk. Nobody will say they're bound by that. Well, but in any case, th th people have sacrifice. It costs money. And businesses want money. They don't want to give it away. They don't want to hire people. They want to make money. And if they're hiring people and if they're building their business so it's accessible, if, they're, if a movie theater, okay, if, if it puts in a descriptive video stream so I can go to the, the movie, I'm going to go and give them all my money, especially if it's a good movie. Now, th that's a different problem altogether, <laughs> which I won't necessarily get into at this point. Different kind of movie. So, so what am I saying? Okay, yeah, ugly laws, from what I know of them, they were pretty dreadful. And ultimately, and in Germany especially, but it almost happened in America. It came damn close. There was a campaign of, of deliberate extermination where the disabled in Germany were under Action T4 were almost entirely annihilated. And it didn't matter if you were blind, it didn't matter if you were, had polio, 
or if you were born with a genetic disability, or if you were mentally challenged. Note that I'm using gentler terms now, okay? To designate what a person is, 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 is born or coping with. It, it doesn't matter if they were in the war and injured, a blinded war veteran. It doesn't matter if, if um, you know, it doesn't matter. They were all exterminated because that was Hitler's goal anyway. His goal was never to build a stronger nation. He, that was a means to an end, not the end. That was not his end. It's true. He, he talked about Germany and, and Lebensraum and, and, and living space and, and all of that. Okay, but that wasn't necessarily so the Germans could do better, although some Germans would. It was, it was because he wanted to do better. He and his other fellow uh, collaborators, the, the Nazis, wanted in their greed they wanted more and because they were anti-semitic they had as a primary goal okay their goal wasn't conquest conquest was a means to an end the end was killing killing all the jews that was their purpose that almost happened in america when you're when you're and now we have modern day thinkers and in fairness i have to read more of of his work okay but uh, Dr. Peter Singer basically advocates choosing and selectively removing disabled people from the world. Better for them, better for us. You know, because he, he, he is of the opinion that their suffering would be so great that even if they were born, you know, their lives would be so awful that that even they would be, would determine it if they could that it's 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 an awful life full of suffering and i'm sure it's unfairly leveled against him but i think there's legitimate grounds to say well sir aren't you saying that that's life unworthy of life i know you don't advocate the policies of national socialism of course but to to start to say and then who decides to start to, to start to say you want to selectively edit edit people out of existence Okay, for their own good? Really? For our own good? Is that, can that really be defended? Can that really be supported? I can't go into too great a depth, unfortunately. And in fairness to, to, to Dr. Singer and, his, and his, those who agree with him, I really must read the work more, more deeply, and I need to, if I'm going to go down that path, I only touch on it. And in fairness, I can't condemn his viewpoints until I understand them better. But to me, my initial knee-jerk reaction is, how can you support that? How can you, how can you go out and say that? And say it's a good idea. That you've taken utilitarianism to its logical conclusion. The greatest good for the greatest number. Pain is bad. Limits are bad. <sighs> Having to rely on other people, that's especially bad, isn't it? Um... And that's another thing I want to get into in another uh, uh, podcast, okay? The idea of, of parasitism, of being a parasite, uh, of, of genuinely, purposefully draining your, your fellow human beings and using them. But I think I've used up too much time to, to go into that much in this episode. So what am I saying in the end? Okay, there are a lot of terrible things that happened a while ago. A long time ago, not so long ago. We don't like them. We don't want to do them again. Okay, fantastic. 
there are still residual influences by that, by, by those ideas, because they derived from human nature in the first place, and they'll do so again. That's why it's, it's one thing to, I, to remove words from your own vocabulary and say, well, I will not use these terms because they're hateful or violent even. There are very few cases. I don't, I don't agree with Derrida, but there are a few words that are revolting and violent, and we shouldn't use them out of principle because they're only used for hateful uh, purposes. But I don't believe in ignoring the word's existence or erasing it and trying to pretend by fully erasing it that we've erased the problem that spawned it. Human nature spawned it. Not the word, okay? That won't help, right? That won't save people and it won't protect them and it won't make us better people uh, if all we've done is, I won't use that word. I don't consider myself a better person. I just won't use the word. Hateful words. Take your pick. I won't use them. Except in cases where I want to shock you or be a bit more of a provocateur in order to make a point. Um, it's kind of, a, kind of unfair for me to do that in a way. But if I really want to drive the point home, okay, especially for the feelings uh, and the situations, the social situations that as disabled people we have all been confronted with, Okay, but in the end, what's the lesson we can derive from this? I'm not even sure I've explicated the ugly laws in all of their depth. What's the lesson we can take from this? Um, I go back to the Enlightenment values uh, of, of Immanuel Kant. Every person has something about them that makes them deserving of, of natural rights, of being treated, uh, natural rights, okay? I'm not talking about it's not my right to walk into a movie theater and have a descriptive video service. I'm glad it's there. I like it. I would lobby for it. I would lobby for it because I'd be willing to pay for it, not because it's a right. But there are basic, natural, inalienable rights, and that's in the Constitution of our country and the Declaration of Independence, and it's in Immanuel Kant because he was the, the great explicator of Enlightenment philosophy, and he argued that everyone has a certain quality about them that makes them worthy of being treated as ends, not as means. Not as means to ends, but as ends. And that doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter who you are. If, if you're the, the most diabolical, if, if you're, if you're um, Karl uh, Pazram, okay, you still have something in you that's from the divine, for lack of a better word. And that something makes you worthy of, of, of basic humanity being respected. Even, even if you're the worst serial killer. So, you know, even uh, Mr. Pa Pazram, okay? All people, okay? According to that maxim, if we build our societies with that in mind, we should all try, I don't want to be preachy, we should try to do better. We should try to accept and help each other and not divide. Uh, I don't want to contribute to the divide that's currently destroying our country. By that I mean the Republicans and the Democrats, the liberals and the conservatives. I don't want to encourage either side because they're wrong. They're all, they're wrong to be doing what they're doing. 
And in the end, we're going to be the ones who pay for it, not them. They'll be the last ones to pay. They may pay the biggest price, you know, off with their heads like Marie Antoinette. Let them eat cake? No, we don't want cake. We have cable. We want your head. And then we'll watch The Walking Dead. Put your head on a shelf. Okay? In any case, I I have to bring this to a close. I hope that um, I have entertained. Primarily, I'm hoping that I'm more entertaining, but I also hope that that what I've said is instructive. And 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 you know, if any of it is is troublesome to you, if you're if you're upset, I'm sorry for that. I I would do um, whatever I might to help you work through through that upset. Okay, I'm not acknowledging that you should have had a trigger warning. I think people are stronger than they give themselves credit for in deliberately weakening yourself. It's a sign of illness. When I've done it, it's a sign of, of sickness, of self-hatred. I won't, I won't encourage that on this podcast. Go ahead and yell at me if you need to. Um, if we start to have a comment section, and a lot of people are on that comment section, please don't hurt each other. It's fine to come after me. Uh, don't go after one another. Um, don't, um, don't be deliberately provocative and violent. Uh, you know, saying strong things, strong statements, even uh, that are difficult to absorb and to cope with, that's fine. But I'd rather you were civil to each other. If you really want to be uncivil, you know, fuck it, come after me. If you want to be a troll, yell at me. I won't remove you from but I probably won't acknowledge. I won't reply. But that's okay. As long as you're not doing stuff to one another that's bad, that's fine. Some of the stuff I'm saying will piss you off. That's fine. I'll assume I'll give you the benefit of the doubt uh, beforehand that you're mad for a good reason and you have legitimate grievance. Anyway, that's it. That's it for this episode of the Rogue Philosophy podcast. Um, uh, recorded in my, my poorly constructed makeshift sound booth. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. Um, thank you for coming and being my guest for this 45 minutes. And um, I wish you all the best. Wish you well. And I hope that between now and the next time we meet, um, you will have genuinely positive experiences And may the sunlight always shine on you. Hmm? So in any case, so long, goodbye, and God bless and all that.